Hey, hey, hello everyone. Good afternoon. And um, we're back again with another episode of Conversations on India. And uh, there's a bunch of uh, things that's going around. And um, uh, today we're going to have actually a couple of people on. So uh, the first is going to be uh, my friend from college, uh, Saurabh Raj. He's here already, so let me um, invite. Hey, hi. Hello. Hi, hi, Sahil. Hi, Panda. Panda is also going to join very soon. Okay. So uh, Saurabh should be here in just a minute. And uh, the first topic that we're going to uh, discuss today is uh, Kashmir files. So uh, there has been a lot of controversy going around it and we're going to break it down for you guys. So, hi. Hello, hey, hi Saurabh. Hi Shur. How are you? I hope you can hear me, I hope you can see me. Yes, I can hear you, I can see you. And uh, Panda is also uh, requesting, so let me just pull him in as well. Okay, so uh, yeah, but thank you so much for uh, doing this, Saurabh, and uh, it's it's a, a pleasure Good to have you. Hi, guys. I'm hey, sorry. hi, Panda. No worries. Sorry, guys. Hi. <laughs> All right. Next awesome, week. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, so yeah, uh, let's let's start with the uh, first topic. It's going to be uh, Kashmir files. So, uh, Saurabh, uh, would you like to, uh, you know, uh, maybe take a couple of minutes, uh, put down some context, and then uh, me and Panda can uh, chip in with uh, what we have around it. So, uh, all yours. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, just we'll start off with basics. Like, Kashmir Files was released this month on 11th of March, and uh, they had a lot of build-up to the, the movie. It was addressing a very, very, you know, uh, a sort of a topic that people usually tend to stay away with due to obvious reasons that it you know, instigates uh, not so good memories of the past. Uh, since the release of the movie, it has been an overwhelming success by all measures, uh, be in terms of uh, the, the, the reputation it has garnered or the money for that matter. Um, it has also become a big debate uh, and clearly there are people who like its uh, release and the people who do not. Uh, it has been a device, dividing the society. There's a, there was a wedge and this movie sort of put that wedge deeper and divided the society and for good or the bad is really up for, uh, up for debate. Um, uh, uh, so the merits and demerits could be discussed, but uh, clearly it is a groundbreaking moment in the filmmaking uh, history of this uh, country. Uh, right. Does that sounds good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, Saurabh has uh, just given down uh, the basic context. And, uh, you know, uh, what is, uh, so, so on the one hand, there is a huge tragedy which has happened. Uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, like some would call it a genocide, uh, some would call it an exodus. Uh, basically, a lot of people who, uh, you know, grew up there uh, were uh, scared away. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of people actually uh, suffered deaths, rapes. Uh, uh, kidnappings, uh, uh, serious crimes were committed, and uh, there was a lot of human suffering involved. And, and the film sort of does a good job of showcasing that human suffering. But uh, what is also happening on top of the human suffering is politicization of that suffering. And uh, you know, because of um, the way Indian demographic is constructed, if you are able to consolidate all of the Hindu vote, uh, you, you will always uh, get elected. So, uh, sort of any efforts uh, around information, uh, you know, uh, distribution, which help you consolidate uh, the majority, are uh, what sort of gets you re-elected. So, uh, there's a story here in in all the states that have made this uh, film tax-free. So, if if I just go down the list, uh, the states are Haryana, Gujarat, Madhya Pradesh, Karnataka, Goa, Tripura, UP, and Uttarakhand. Guess what is common among all the states? So, uh, I, I mean, uh, there is a very there is a very clear, uh, you know, uh, political message behind the movie. And, and uh, you know, uh, some would even say that the movie has been successful in, in sort of delivering that political message. And, uh, you know, as uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, pe people who are, uh, you know, slightly more aware than, uh, or to, to, you know, um, 
be fooled by by the propaganda that's going around i i think we should be a little more aware of of sort of uh, the efforts that are taking place and and you know uh, like uh, there are propaganda uh, from both side i'm not saying uh, doing doing it is good or bad but uh, maybe getting affected by it is 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 bad and and maybe uh, that is where uh, we need to come in as a, a media organization to sort of uh, spread that awareness uh, but uh, that would be my take but i, I would uh, like to hear what uh, sarav has to say but before that let's go to panda and then uh, sarav you know uh, what i have to say regarding kashmir files is that uh, let's just take it as a movie let's uh, keep the politics part apart uh till now the exodus of the pandits uh, kashmiri pandits it has been reflected i guess uh, in a movie called shikhara by vidhu uh, vinod chopra and apart from that all the movies that were made on you know mission kashmir we had heather uh, we had rosa so uh, fana so these were the sort of movies that had uh, you know the protagonist was someone who has taken up arms uh, has become a terrorist you know owing to his own circumstances or some something like that you know it it was something very situational or something like that but this part of history was something that has never been exploited and uh, it's uh, what what i would uh, what i basically want to say is that you know you are portraying a specific part now there, there is also politics going on that you know uh, you could have included the whole part and the other part in this movie but what i want to say is that you know this is a genre of movie that covers that specific part there were movies that did not cover this specific part so just let's uh, keep it as a movie yeah it is a way to reality how distorting it is is something that we still don't know because you know this is what has been uh, portrayed but i think so this is something uh, that, that is itself a genre movie which is very acceptable you know now politicizing this movie and there have been going rounds of talks you know uh, the politicians you know presently in news uh, or i would say in power uh sharing these movies and uh, something like that so it is very well to keep it to your personal opinion but uh, you know again making this a political agenda and then uh, going about it is something uh, that, that that basically kills the fun that the media uh, that the movies and all this uh, bollywood section that uh, it contains so that is my view on this mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh yeah i uh, so uh, clearly there are two sides to it um but uh, as the general rule of thumb the truth lies somewhere in between and uh, we have to start off from the vantage point of measuring the pros and cons of the release of this movie okay so as you can see in the conversation especially when the internet has come to the fore with geo revolution and all uh people had been pointing back to okay well, what happened then and then it happened with uh, 2002 and then it happened with the kashmiri pandits and then they will keep on going and dragging back so the pros become that okay this has been becoming a part of conversation where a larger conversation is taking part of it uh, taking taking the center stage uh, the con of it is there is a division in the society now people were not making the movie of this sort precisely because they always knew that this is going to be political always is going to be political but now that it has become political it's going to be deeply you know uh, people would be able to connect with this movie does that mean that we should not be making this kind of movie i do not think so i think i'll going to put it in the pros uh, part also so the con is that people would politicize it it was always known that it's going to be politicizing but if it leads to a sort of a social mobilization where it harms a person financially or physically then it's a problem if the information goes around in the country where it does not really harm anyone i don't think it's it's a it's a democracy right mm-hmm. information will go around information has gone around previously as well unless until it, my uh, you know right to watch a movie and interpret it in my own way does not come in the way of other persons liberty to live i think it's uh, it's a good enough movie and by now no pretext has been set from this movie that a person has been physically harmed obviously the chants have been made okay uh, some of the people had gone into verbal confrontation with other members of the audience that has already happened okay that could be seen as some sort of violence obviously uh, but i think it also is a part of conversation it was not something that a person has been mishandled or a person has been lynched since that's a buzzword in past 7 or 8 years so in my opinion the pros 
are going to in due history in retrospect gonna uh, outweigh the cons of this movie uh, it will also it is also open a very very a nasty phase of of our politics if such movies come in future it's always going to be a poster mhm okay so uh, i i've just uh, pulled in saurav as well and uh, you know uh, he he also wanted to be on today's podcast and we had sort of talked about it and uh, we are going to discuss uh, another topic after this but uh, so even saurav had some views around kashmir files so uh, since we were uh, discussing that and uh, you know there are two saurabs today so uh, uh, I, i don't know how to address you guys but uh, uh, saurab uh, kumar dubey okay I'll, i'll take your full name uh, maybe uh, let's let's have your few uh, thank you so much for doing this and let's have your few on kashmir friends ah uh, you, know, you guys can call me dubey it's okay and that's okay. what my friends used to call me <laughs> uh-huh. all right uh, uh, see i i was listening to first of all hello to everyone over here and uh, you guys are doing a great job and um, i was listening to you all of you people but um, and i and i have a different point of view from what has already been said uh, on the platform and about the movie i think uh, the movie is uh, according to me uh, is basically and um, i think the director i i heard some of the conversations of mr vivek agnihotri like uh, he was trying to promote the movie and he said that he is not focusing on the political part he has he has uh, gently kept him out uh, out himself out of the whatever the political ramifications that the movie is going to have and he just wants to focus on the human suffering part and i feel he is i think the movie justifies his point of view because uh, if you see like uh, the movie starts uh, uh, as throughout the course of the, like the entire 3 hours you hardly there are only few passing references of the politics of that particular amount of time the movie has been showing massacres killings or what the brutalities of the people have gone through so for time being like we can keep the politics part of the movie out of it but uh, as we all know that uh, we live in such a polarized times and people are going to have an opinion about it so i have a reason behind it that why this is happening uh, let's put it into context see we are a very young democracy we are hardly like 75 years old we have entered into 75 years of democracy and what i believe is like uh, um, there has hardly been uh, uh, if you leave out last 7 to 8 years there has hardly been a, a, a counter narrative to the popular narrative that goes on in the in current, like that has been going on since last 70 years like uh, like the way the history has been written or maybe the the way we have been taught like how we achieved our freedom and everything like there there has been a certain point, point of view or you, which may, maybe we can say the right wing point of view which has been ignored for a very long amount of for a very considerable amount of time which has now come into foreground like in the past 7 to 8 years so what i believe is like when these things happen or like uh, what should i say uh, so it's like when you go undergoes certain type this type of churn like in the society i, I still believe that we are still a growing society like we have not developed like us or like there are where there are so many point of views so where there is a churn in the society like these things are bound to happen like people will have uh, like you will see like social mobilization you will see people like being angry or like expressing their views in the ways in ideally like they should not be behaving like this like i saw some of the videos like where people were chanting some certain slogans in the cinema hall and like which is ideal which is completely wrong you are you are not allowed to like uh, like demonize any community about like uh, that is completely wrong like whatever has happened in the past we had 800 years of mughal rule like there were so many wrong things that happened which happened which should, which should never have happened but that that doesn't mean that you will ask them like present day muslims those questions they are not answerable to it right so i think like uh, this is a churn which is going on in the society and the way forward is that like which i believe that we should allow such churn, such churns to keep happening we should not be stopping it i believe mm-hmm. that there um, like like there is a sign sort of where there like something goes up something and it comes down like the sine curve like it sometimes goes up and it comes down so this progression is very natural and this was bound to happen if the dispensation changes we just need to focus on the fact that we need we that people should not take law and order law and order, law and order into their hands they should not be like uh, going crazy or uh, and, uh, and and allow these things to keep happening until unless we have multiple points of views this these things are never going to settle down and kashmir mm-hmm. is still the same the movie just focuses on one point of view it shows the pain that people have gone through it and we should just end it over there itself like like panda said like we should just treat it as a movie we should not go beyond it but we should mm-hmm. also understand the fact that why is this happening this is happening because somewhere i feel like down 70 years like 
after independence independence there has hasn't been enough churn in our society we haven't allowed enough point of views to propagate obviously because we had a congress rule which had a particular narrative and it allowed that narrative to propagate even through art cinema and everything like he also gave the examples of so many multiple movies which just focused on what should i say like uh, they 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 showed why people picked up arms uh, to fight against the state so i feel that due to because, due to lack of uh, like the fight between the multiple narratives which has been lacking in our history in the field of art or even intelli- or even intelligence intelligentsia which has not happened which is actually happening now so these things are happening so i think we should just learn to live with all these things rather than like saying like why this is happening or this should not be happening we should learn to live with it that is my point of view in all this thing. all right yo yeah. so uh, i i mean a lot of things uh, mentioned by uh, dupe there so uh, yeah uh, I, i mean uh, the the key point that i wanted to you know double click on was that uh, you know this is uh, the first time that the counter narrative thing is happening so uh, you exactly. know ever since uh, 2014 what has happened is that the overton window of the indian political discourse has shifted to the right exactly. uh, a, a little bit we had so, a bjp government for 5 years like 99 to 4 sorry for me interrupt you but yeah, uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt you i'm saying we mm-hmm. had a bjp government like from 99 to 2004 but that that government also that been the, the vajpayee government also did, didn't change okay. the discourse of the of the narrative it still focused on the same narrative it went about talking about development but then the society did not change much mm-hmm. the society had changed after 2014 when narendra modi came up with such a huge majority so i think uh, we have to accept that fact we have to start living with that fact like uh, that this is going to happen whether we like it or not that is a person that can be a personal opinion totally i agree with that and and actually mm-hmm. uh, the, the point that i was trying to make was ki uh, you know now uh, you know uh, the the discourse is shifting more and more towards the right so uh, obviously yes. there will be some things that that come in which are you know too far on the right but but then uh, you know mm-hmm. a greater acceptance in the society has been created for for this kind of right wing exactly. discourse and, exactly. and you know people uh-huh. people are sort of more accepting of it and 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 you know uh, mm-hmm. they, they think that it is more uh, of of what should happen and 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 sort of what was happening earlier was was in some way a little bit of an injustice uh, so so, exactly. so uh, this is a new strain of thought uh, which has been exposed and of course uh, we live in a democracy and there is freedom of expression so there is nobody you know mm-hmm. uh, trying to question whether or not this movie should have been released um, maybe uh, what we should try to censure is uh, you know uh, being too swayed by by this movie uh, like you both mentioned it is just a movie let's just uh, keep it there and and try not to get too emotional about it Uh, and uh, because uh, you know the movie is such that that it highlights the human suffering so so it it has a way to inspire uh, sort of an emotional response but as aware citizens it it is sort of our duty to to you know not let our uh, emotions uh, get, get in the way of of our understanding of society so yeah I, we have had uh, quite a long discussion on this maybe we can have one final thought from each of you guys so uh, maybe uh, saurabh first uh, then panda and we can close with it so there are two things uh, i picked up from dubey's point the why there had been a bjp government before but such drastic discourse did not so the thing is we have to i'm going to reference a book by sanjay baru an ex is officer mm-hmm. india's new power elite so the people had not the people already in power in delhi had not invested in narendra modi the way it, they have invested in establishment before mm-hmm. now even uh, lk advani and atal bihari vajpayee was part of that elite and hence they were not changing much but when uh modi came he brought in his own kind of people and they the establishment did not have the investment so they went on and changed everything so that's why you see such drastic changes in policy making as well as the deliverables on ground the second thing i'm going to end with the point is that geometrically speaking if you have to shift something from left towards center you have to drag it towards the right so even if that is happening i guess that's uh, that's part of the democratic discourse and if some correction is going to happen democracy will take care of it right mm-hmm. and you know uh, i would like to in help to base point that in a democracy that chaos and that churnwise is required you know over time and i think so that is what is the test of democracy that is what it uh, what strengthens it so this can be such event but again uh, finally my view on this will only be this that just keep the part and the politics part apart you know there have been multiple controversial movies uh, around the world and there have been few in india uh, but you know this politicization and highlighting basic highlighting of specific movies and then targeting bringing that uh, part to the current narrative is something which is not very uh, you know uh, 
which should not happen as simple as that so uh, let's just enjoy movie as movie let's just uh, be on our sides and uh, let our brains you know do the thinking and see what we have for and let's not get into fights uh, over unnecessary things that have been created by uh, people uh, that just want to take the maximum benefit out of uh, such situation that has been created that will be my point mm-hmm. yeah exactly not like not not much to add i will just say that uh, uh, like we have to focus more on reconciliation part like we have we we as indians have ignored it completely we we never reconcile we never talk about the like so many disastrous things that have happened post independence we just we have a tendency to forget that should not be happening we should focus on reconciliation and if we do that like um, then people will like what should i say like people will be more aware they will be more like uh, passionate they won't be like this passionate about these things when after the movie arrives okay they will be more like um, they will be more reasonable of it why this thing is happening like because we tend to ignore atrocities in our society once we stop doing it we we focus on we as a society we as a state focus on reconciliation part of any atrocity which is committed and we have to, we develop a tendency to ask for forgiveness forgiveness for forgiveness in our society these things like these ramifications or extreme ramifications are going to vanish and like treat movie as a movie enjoy have fun like don't no, I, i don't think like with growing time like i think this uh, whatever the passion people have it's going to die down and it should come up to like the, the recon- reconciliation part like the people who have really suffered they should be getting justice in like due course of time all right so enjoy movie as a movie and uh, justice mm-hmm. should be served those are the messages okay. of the day and i think with that mm-hmm. uh, we can move on to the next topic uh, we are at the 21 minute mark and uh, next we wanted to talk about the hijab wow. controversy so um uh, yeah, sarob uh, you're most welcome to say uh, but uh, we only talked about uh, you know uh this is the first topic so uh, what do you want to do no i really have to leave actually okay. i have a, you know i have something to do <laughs> and that's why uh, thanks guys so i'm really traveling right now that's why i could not stay longer but uh, thanks for it was a fun conversation yeah uh, thank, you, thank you so much for your appearance and thank, uh, thank yeah you, uh, mm-hmm. see you later mm-hmm. thank you bye bye yeah bye 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 all right so uh, that leaves just the three of us and uh, we can begin talking about the second topic so panda if you can uh, put it in the uh, chat uh, yeah. we going to talk about the hijab controversy so uh, we have talked about this once before and then sort of had a debate on it uh, whether or not you know it is a essential uh, like it is an essential practice to islam or uh, you know uh, whether or not we should allow it since then there has been a, a, you know a, a very a detailed verdict that has been released by the Karnataka High Court and and it was it was by a panel of three judges so uh, like uh, we have had some context into this as well and uh, we're going to talk about it uh, sort of in more detail uh, given the uh, high court uh, judgment uh, or, or the high court verdict that has just come in so i, I will just uh, lay down the, the, the context a, a little bit here so uh, there is uh, in 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 the judicial terms there is something called the principle of reasonable accommodation so uh, you know uh, and and it is usually used in the context of disability so uh, it is considered that it is a duty of the government and also of uh, you know businesses or organizations in society to sort of do something extra for people who are disabled in order to you know accommodate them or, or help them be a better part of the society so so uh, th- this principle of reasonable accommodation is used to make uh, some extra accommodation which are apart from what is offered to the normal public to to some special group of people who 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 sort of require it to become a, a greater part of the society now the court has taken a line that uh, since uh, wearing hijab is is not an essential practice to uh, you know uh, to practice islam or or to be uh, you know an effective citizen of the society therefore uh, this accommodation cannot be made and 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 you know in in education institutions uh, like uh, there th- there should be no head covering or uh, hijab or you know or whatever else uh, a saffron cloth that uh, some other communities might like to wear or uh, maybe uh, some other uh, sort of head covering all of those are not allowed because uh, you know it it is not reasonable to accommodate these uh, this this is essentially in 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 you know in 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 a line what the court has concluded and uh, there are a couple of uh, you know articles of the constitution that that, that come in here there is uh, a little bit of article 19 uh, which gives us you know all the six freedoms and uh, there is article 21 which is uh, the right to life and liberty and of course there is article 25 which is freedom to profess propagate and uh, you know 
practice your own religion and and uh, what is also in in this context is the un convention of uh, rights of people with disabilities so so there uh, so they have given you know some examples of what could be a reasonable accommodation like it could be modifying the work schedule or uh, you know allowing certain assistive devices like a hearing aid or or you know uh, some sort of walking aid or or it could be uh, you know modification of the workplace in order to allow better access uh, to to disabled people so so uh, sort of high court has framed this debate in the context of uh, reasonable accommodation and and has concluded that it is not reasonable to have this accommodation so um, uh, since uh, dubey is our guest today so uh, let's uh, go to him first and sort of understand his take on this uh, situation and then uh, we can come back to panda and uh, take take this opinion uh so uh, thank you for that and so basically you're saying like uh, you you talked about the uh, reasonable accommodation okay mm-hmm. in the in the society so that you can push certain people who have been marginalized or who are not in the mainstream they can be granted certain liberties uh, apart from the main like what whatever is existing in the mainstream so uh, um see uh, when when we look into the court's verdict Uh, basically uh, what uh, i think uh, the court has made verdict on and what i think it has missed out on i'll mention it the court has basically uh, just pinned on one point that whether hijab is an essential religious practice in islam or not okay and it has made a, a decision based on that like um, and it, it basically said that hijab because hijab is not an essential religious practice so like uh, you cannot practice that uh, you cannot go with a hijab to a to an educational institute that what is said and like you have to follow the guidelines of the education institution that is the basic judgment if i have to say like in layman terms in, in, in layman terms so what i think about it what court has missed out on it is that that um, according to me see uh, first of all this uh, if 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 you want to elaborate on the essential religious practice clause like what is basically an essential religious practice according to our indian constitution there is no mention of essential religious practice in the constitution first of all it has it is a device which has been like uh, it has been invented by the supreme court itself like in the famous if you guys know about the shirur mat case it was in, in, it was basically developed in that and with due course of time it has taken various uh, like forms and like what court does is like uh, according to, uh, and uh, again being a student i or being a being an aspirant i disagree with the court on this point that uh, according to me the judges should not be the one who should be sitting over there and deciding like what is what in particular religion is essential and what in particular religion is not essential like it's very according to me it's not a uh, it's it's a very minuscule view or, uh, or according to what should i say like it's not a very large wide point point of view with the, with the judges are speaking they are like considering their own and then they are deciding whether it's uh, essential or not so this case according to me should not have been decided on the point of essential religious practice this case should have been decided on the point whether hijab can be part of dress code or not like whether whether do you consider hijab as a part of dress code or you don't consider hijab as a part of dress code it should not have been taken to the to a point whether we have, whether a court should decide like whether hijab is essential religious practice or not because even if court says from like it has already said from 10 years back that hijab is not essential to islam but you see, still you see people wearing hijab so the problem is not sorted out you are just creating a according to me a, a confusion in the religious institution in the mind of the student and that uh, okay you cannot go to, because the, the constitution is not going your hijab so you cannot go in and hijab so you may even have to drop out and there are cases where where students have dropped out so according to me the court have st- st- uh, taken a much nuanced stand where we stands on this issue and they should have decided whether you can have hijab in your dress code or not and and made then made a decision according to it rather than thinking on the fact that whether hijab, hijab is an essential because basically i don't uh, agree with the essentiality clause of the supreme court that is my personal point of view like uh, anyone can maybe people may agree to supreme court but on this point of view i disagree with the supreme court i think they are no one to decide what 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 ritual or what practices are essential to a particular religion or not i think they are not well versed enough uh, to get into particular religion they just have some they decide on certain facts there are multiple examples in past as well whether they said that tandav dance is not uh, essential to hinduism or so many multiple things like um, somewhere somewhere they said like santara um, santara in jainism is not essential to to jains that also has been said by the supreme court in some, in some of its judgments so i think uh, this essentiality clause it's in itself according to me is very ambiguous and the court should have taken a ground on the uniform part of it whether like uh, somebody can go with a hijab or 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 any saffron dupatta or anything to a particular religious institution or not by doing this they could have avoided a religious controversy around it 
what court did they take a very narrow stance on it and i hope once this thing goes into the supreme court because because supreme court has so many cases pending uh, there are so many cases pending in the supreme court on the religious line uh, which they are going to decide by when they when they constitute the nine judge bench they have not done it yet i don't know why they are avoiding it till now they should do it so once it get into the supreme court i i just feel like they take a different stance on it i am not but like currently i am not satisfied with the stance that supreme court has taken if i have to sum up it only like according to me the judgment is incorrect if i have to be very blatant like uh, <laughs> i don't think be, the, the, be, be careful of contempt of court <laughs> ah yeah it's, it's very common now it is but if i have to say that the the, the, the uh, i am not happy with the stance of the supreme court because personally uh, like what i have read about the essentiality clause i i personally don't concur to it the idea of essentiality according to me it's a false idea Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, thank you uh, for that. And and uh, you know, uh, Dubey believes that uh, you know the, the court has um, made a grave mistake. Panda, what do you think? You know, I'll just focus around the religious essential practices as a whole. So, what mm-hmm. are essential practices and how this thing evolved? So, uh, Dubey has rightly mentioned that it evolved in the Shirur Math case, nineteen fifty-four. You know, it goes as back. So, what are essential practices? Is that the question had come up to court that there were certain religious practices that were, you know, uh, violative of other fundamental rights. So, under the uh, disguise of protecting Article Twenty Five and Twenty Six, which is individual and collective uh, religious freedom, they were also doing harm to Article Fourteen, uh, right to equality, in uh, the Shirumat case. You know, opening up of temples for general public and women. and uh, sabri mala we had already seen that and then the text goes uh, violating article 19 and 21 you know there there, there is a uh, thing that hijab uh, not allowing wearing of hijab is something that will violate article 19 that is expression in 21 that is right to privacy so this essential practices is an indian innovation that started back in 1954 according to this the religion can be divided into two areas so one is the core essential religion uh, area which is you know very uh, fundamental to the existence of religion and then there is something that has been created around the court and how this test is done is that if there is any practice that is determined by the supreme court using the sacred text now what those sacred texts are again depends uh, on the supreme court you know uh, such as triple talaq was not a part of essential practices so uh, using those uh, sacred texts if anything is found to be essential practice so uh, then you know uh, the that that section will be considered uh, and the other section will be ignored and vice versa that if it is not part of the essential practices as that now the problem with the essential test practice as such is that you know it uh, depends on the uh, supreme court or i would say a three judge bench or a single judge bench or a three judge bench that is basically what has been done mostly that to decide upon the case of the essentiality of a religious practice for example in this case of hijab uh, just a fun fact is that similar question was brought up Uh, in Kerala High Court back in 2016, court, you know, yes. that was, and they uh, had a very different take. Hmm. Yeah, that was Amna Bint Bashir hmm. versus CBSC, and they had declared that hijab hmm. is an essential practice. And now this question is again being brought up by uh, in 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 front of the Karnataka High Court, you know, and uh, this is something uh, which they have said that it is not a part of essential practices. So again, this test that has been created, the essential practices test, uh, is uh, what I would say uh, a, a part of judicial activism. you know uh, th- that india had uh, more likely begun uh, begun to see after 1978 and uh, 79 you know mm-hmm. post democracy phase and this is only taken mm-hmm. up and i think so this is for the very reason that supreme court is not delivering a judgment a- as of now you know so there are different mm-hmm. we, we have a, a precedent from kerala high court the same has been reversed by the uh, karnataka high court and uh, for our public all these high courts are constitutional courts you know it it is in uh, it is well in their rights to interp- uh, interpret the constitution but supreme court is the uh, ultimate interpreter of ultimate. constitution mm-hmm. so this is how the uh, principle of essentiality has uh, developed now when it comes to this hijab controversy we had already uh, had a discussion regarding you know uh, we, we could have talked about the education part uh, dubey had mentioned that uh, tandav is not in part uh, essential practice it was given back in 2004 by the supreme court Going to stating uh, that you know you cannot have a public tandav. Uh, it it was limited mm-hmm. to specific community. You know having skulls in your head and then you uh, performing the tandav. So uh, again, it it violated Article Nineteen. One we have certain uh, restrictions, including the contempt of court that we were just discussing. So there there was this uh, public order, decency or morality. That was the ground that was given by the Supreme Court back back then. And again, referring to certain court texts, I don't know which court texts. now similarly the similar thing has happened uh, in case of uh, hijab you know uh, 
high court had owing to certain court text upheld that it is an essential practice karnataka high court owing to another certain court text have referred that it is not a part of essential practice so yes the ultimate decision lies with the supreme court as of now but what constitutes the essentiality part is still you know very debatable because for me uh, i i might not uh, agree or adhere to a certain religious text that uh, it, it might be core for some section of say uh, a, a religion but it might not be core text so i think so, uh, in a democracy uh, these sort of issues you know get to come up where you know even violating right of a single individual is violation of democracy so that is something that mm-hmm. should be balanced by the supreme court and this test of essentiality needs an overlook uh, is what i'm saying that instead of judiciary interpreting uh, i think so a secular council is needed to be built and again you know it's it's a it's a it's a topic that that you know can uh, the essential practices can go on so this is my right. take on the essential practices on this Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there are uh, you know uh, so many things like so many different directions in which uh, this debate can go. Uh, but I, I actually wanted to uh, you know uh, present uh, uh, maybe a, a counterpoint uh, to to what you uh, guys are mentioning. So so the general uh, strain of thought that you have mentioned is that uh, you know uh, that the court is nobody to decide uh, decide what is essential, what is not. Even what they're basing their decision on those core texts themselves, uh, we're not really sure if they are really the core text. Who interpreted these core uh, texts? Shivam, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I uh, sorry to interrupt. I never said that the court is no one to decide. Okay, like okay. I'm saying that this essentiality clause, what they have like uh, the innovation which they have come up with over the years. I don't agree with this essentiality thing. See, once uh, fundamental rights or Article 19 or 21 is in question versus Article we Article 25 or 25 or 26. what i personally personally feel is like article 19 or 21 or 14 should always be like paramount when uh, and it should never like uh, come below article 25 or 26 it should always be above article uh, like 25 and 26 okay so i'm not saying that the court should not be like uh, interrupting or looking into the cases where they feel that the rights have been violated in the name of religious practice okay they should be looking into the cases they should be like uh, ju- passing judgments but that they, they should be doing it on case to case basis not make a proper like um, come up with something like an essentiality clause and say that okay this practice is not essential you can simply say that you cannot perform this thing in public this this point this particular thing comes under reasonable restriction or public order or morality or anything okay so court can so uh, instead of uh, like uh, making it a very like common thing or a charter type of thing i think essentiality clause is basically a charter that a court has developed over a part of over like 50 years they should get rid of right. this charter like and decide case by case that is my only point that's all yeah 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 so so uh, like dubey uh, i i agree with what you're saying essentially like you're mm-hmm. arguing arguing over the technical details over why sort of uh, you know a court has uh, not allowed hijabs uh, they have made like a charter and and in the future mm-hmm. if, if the supreme court upholds it then this might you know Will become uh, like a commonly accepted practice, and then India will, will sort of somehow lose some amount of religious freedom, or, or maybe some people's exactly. feelings might get hurt because you know uh, they consider no, it as basically a, an attack against the, the 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 diversity. That's what I feel. So so hold, hold on, there. Hold, hold on there. hold on there, hold on there, hold on there. So 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 mm-hmm. we can perhaps get overprotective of the diversity. Now I don't even want to talk about this issue because it can get politicized. But maybe I'll, I'll talk about mm-hmm. an issue which is closer to home for me, uh, which is uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, the, the the trend where in in, in a lot of uh, in in the North Indian Ganga Belt or the Hindu region uh, there is a trend where uh, females or uh, you know married women have to keep a ghungat uh, on 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 their faces, right? And and that is again a regressive practice and. and And actually, uh, there are all these societies developing within uh, the Hindu religion who are, who are trying to stop it. Now, I'm not trying to compare these two, but what I'm trying to say is is maybe we should appreciate the progressive strain when it comes to religious matters because religion is 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 sort of a medieval concept, and and you know, uh, in, increasingly uh, we are seeing that the uh, nations which are more economically developed are sort of less regressive when it comes to religious practices, and 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 uh, this can actually be backed up by fact. so uh, the point that i'm trying to make is uh, maybe we should be more accepting of a progressive strain of thought when it comes to uh, you know religion and and uh, you know whatever are the regressive practices and and it doesn't really uh, you know it it is not limited to just uh, one religion it it, it is in among all the religions maybe uh, our society is not ready for, for for that kind of progressivism yet but 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 maybe we can start creating space for it is 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 uh, you know all all i'm going to say so um 
if if you guys want to have any last uh, points uh, we can have those or we can move on to the next topic Uh, so basically i would like i completely mm-hmm. agree Go with on. you that um, when you compare the economics uh, condition of the uh, like uh, the, the countries who have done who have basically done away with these practices they are much higher than us but uh, we also need to like understand the fact that india is very different from all those countries considering mm-hmm. the demography we have in our country so we have to take deal with these issues very differently from what they have done we cannot yeah. follow um, like conquer those lines so the change which ha- which has to come it has to come from the society rather than being imposed by some higher authority so mm-hmm. i feel i never i never some like believe in the fact that the society is not ready for it we are always ready for a conversation okay mm-hmm. uh, there should be a conversation in the society and whenever the court feels that a genuine right or whether it's article 14 19 20, or 21 it has been violated it should immediately strike down any such religious practice okay and like pampada uh, mentioned about sabrimala okay even in sabrimala i feel the court went or the court followed the route of activism where they ignored very minute point points about the sabrimala temple they did not go into those uh, uh, point and they just uh, took it as a matter of uh, like what should i say like they did took it uh, against uh, um, as a topic of discrimination against women but uh, when you get into the sabrimala issue and when you read it on a more elaborate basis it's very different from the only it's not limited to this, uh, like the discrimination of women there are so many temples in south where even men are not allowed so you have to understand the fact there are so many temples in south india where even men are not allowed or they are not allowed to visit those temples in a particular point of time so temple we have to very uh, understand the fact that every religious place has certain connotations but if you don't have such balanced approach or or when you tilt towards only towards activism part of it or when you see is there it has discrimination then you will come up with such uh, like what what should i say, what should i say you will come, we will end up having such polarized arguments like what we have today whether it's religious versus right i think the court needs to strike a very fine balance with it and where, that is where i feel the essentiality thing fails it doesn't strike a fine balance it either says it's good or either says it's bad you should not have be having a categorization that is my only apprehension with the court they should get rid of the category the categorization and they should go case by case if they do so i think uh, in future we'll be able to deal with these cases more efficiently uh, and we have to accept the fact that it's a it's a very difficult thing to pass a judgment on uh, because uh, like religion yeah. is something which is very deep rooted in our society so we have to accept it mm-hmm. and like uh, just get rid of the categorization have a balanced approach which i feel is somewhere the supreme court is lacking in current discourse right. when it comes to religious issues the issues they are just lacking the balanced approach according to me you know what again restating my point is that religious is something that is uh, very, very private it it varies individual to individual as to what i follow and what i do not follow and the essentiality okay. again uh, deciding something uh, on the basis of sacred text might be okay but you know that is uh, how the texts have evolved you know over time Uh, we we had this early vedic and then we have this later uh, later vedic and th- there is a difference so again deciding see someone has to decide you know someone and and this decision is not for uh, you know ending or uh, someone's freedom basically this this decision is towards ending all this uh, news or i would say fighting that is going on on the name of religion i think so that is why essential practices is necessary uh, but uh, i'm very skeptical about the method uh, of this uh, essential practices test but at the same time uh, the point that vyas has mentioned that you know we need to move towards uh, something that is more secularism and more progressive in society you know religious is something that uh, as a concept is very uh, private and personal but overall for the development of society we need to look above the religion so that is something that the court should also say and uh, on this cultural uh, societal acceptance and this 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 is a quote uh, or a line that i had read so it says that law is an effective tool to bring social change you know however change in law Uh, without social acceptance can cause cultural lag so law is necessary and it it is a very essential part let's just uh, talk about uh, homosexuality so there there is law that has you know triggered something uh, to start acceptance but you know till the time the acceptance is still not made there is always going to remain a cultural lag there is always going to remain a section so i think so the similar things uh, and, and, and i think so this is the second uh, topic and both controversial that we have discussed but there is no end to this uh, uh things that we are discussing it is that the society will accept these things is only when the society uh, will itself progress this is something that society itself uh, will develop so uh, supreme court or any any in any other matter is just uh, providing a you know guiding light and the guiding light is not necessarily correct is what i'm saying it it can uh, it, it it is very dependent on the nature of uh, judgment and something so that is so i don't want to dwell more yeah. into that you know 
Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, I, I think with that uh, we can end this topic. And uh, you know, an apple only falls from the tree uh, when it's ready to fall. And in the same way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a society uh, only moves on when it's ready to move on. So uh, all we can do is is maybe talk about it, and we have already done that. So uh, the next topic that I wanted to talk about is is uh, something called the export preparedness index. And we have about fifteen minutes left, so maybe we can close with this. Or uh, if Panda has something uh, towards the end, we can have that as well. So uh, and and I hope uh, Dubey, you have some uh, time to uh, finish this call with this. Okay, yeah. I'm okay with that. Hmm. Okay, awesome. So uh, yeah, uh, we we will be uh, closing in another fifteen uh, minutes or so. So yeah, uh, export preparedness index. Uh, Niti Aayog has come out with it uh, for uh, second year in the running, and uh, you know uh, Gujarat has uh, topped the index uh, as 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 might have been expected. Uh, there are four uh, you know main pillars, and there are eleven sub pillars of the index. I will I won't go into the sub pillars, but the four uh, main pillars are policy, business ecosystem, export ecosystem, and export performance. so uh, these are uh, so out of these only export performance is 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 a metric uh, you know which can be uh, you know uh, calculated based on facts on the ground all the other three are, are sort of rated by a bureaucrat sitting in some office uh, which are you know uh, their their policy readiness or their uh, business ecosystem or their export ecosystem uh, now uh, as niti aayog often does uh, they have divided all the states or all the regions of india into four different categories uh these categories are himalayan coastal landlocked and uh, ut slash city states so even jammu kashmir is is part of the uh, city state category and uh, in, in the himalayan category uttarakhand himachal pradesh and tripura these these are the 1 2 3 uh, in in the coastal it's uh, gujarat maharashtra and then karnataka uh, in the landlocked uh, category it's haryana up and then mp and then in the ut slash city category it's delhi then goa then jammu kashmir so again uh, ex- exports why are they important why are we uh, talking about them now because between april 2020 and april 2021 so in in, in these two months if if we if we look at the total exports from india they have gone up uh, 3x so we exported 10 billion dollars worth of merchandise i'm talking about goods not service exports so we exported 10 billion dollars of merchandise in uh, april 2020 uh, whereas in april 2021 it had gone up to 30 billion dollars so it, it had tripled and our highest uh, you know uh, monthly export has come in just december 2021 which was you know 3 uh, 3 months back so uh, there has been a concerted effort into growing uh, india's export share and uh, you know in, india does very well in in pharmaceuticals in uh, textiles in agri products uh when it comes to export uh, and uh, you know uh, these are sort of the sectors that uh, the government has increasingly increasingly focused on also so uh, what i wanted to uh, talk about was uh, you know a uh, sort of what are the steps that we can take to further uh, in- increase our, our, our export potential and b uh, you know what are some of the challenges uh, when it comes to export so uh, maybe we can go to panda first and then uh, come to dubey uh, just to uh, give it more time to formulate and and i have a few uh, challenges written down uh, but but i will come back to these uh, once we're done so and all yours right before starting with the challenges you know i would like to say why this index or any index in india is basically when it is prepared is prepared so uh, for example mm-hmm. the export preparedness index uh, will have few benefits uh, first first one is increasing competition amongst the state right and mm-hmm. uh, this is the most important benefit of any index so if you know where you lie and the four uh, areas that have been mentioned uh, if you know where your individual state individual ranking is so you can have a necessary improvement in those specific areas you know that is something that is very essential uh, when it comes to any index and uh, analysis focus on export preparedness index second thing apart from uh, this is that you know it it also uh, acts as a guide to Uh, the state government and also recognizes the uh, obstacles that that comes uh, in the in, in increasing the export uh, of the nation because export is something uh, again when it comes to balance of payments export is something that is very uh, necessary because it it helps us to pay back for what we are importing such as oil because india is a major importer of oil and the n- next part uh, is that you know uh, uh, we have seen and again uh, this this index also highlights that this export region has been mainly focused in few states and these are mainly the wealthy states that that have come you know we have uh, gujarat we have few south indian states uh, maharashtra andhra so this is something that it highlights the potential of the regions that are not covered in this index 
to come and uh, contribute to the sentence now when it comes to the challenges regarding the export uh, covid was one i think so we have come over it uh, in in a beautiful way uh, the fact states that you know we have three times the export other challenges is that uh, major challenge for me personally is uh, this providing the connect Uh, logistics is the correct word for that so india still uh, you know uh, the spending on logistics in india accounts 14% of its gdp while the world average is uh, somewhere around 8% you know 8 to 9% mm-hmm. so we have to drastically reduce this uh, extra spending on logistics we have to create uh, effective uh, passage and effective logistics to transport the goods that is the first thing. the second thing is uh, research and development and infrastructure in states is missing you know we don't have proper processing industries that can uh, contribute and convert those uh, raw products into something more meaningful which is uh, more likely to be exported and also increase the shelf life so these two are something that i uh, immediately can think of mm-hmm. okay uh so like uh, i would like i would just like to add on certain points like what uh, panda has already mentioned see first of all i think uh, you know, where we uh, there has been uh, like a, a very historical apprehension when, when we have when we come to exports like we haven't focused on this uh, like uh, uh, this part of our economy for a very long for a for a very long time uh, we still were stuck in that agrarian mindset so we didn't focus on manufacturing and so that's the reason our export has also suffered of uh, suffered a lot so what i feel is that uh, if you want to increase our exports first of all i feel that the what government should uh, like uh, immediately do is is get rid of the powers like as much as, as they can they have to get rid uh, take the powers in from the hands of the bureaucrats uh, as long as bureaucrats remain powerful or there is still retypism in our bureaucracy our exports are not going to flourish so first of all we need to like uh, decrease the retypism in the bureaucracy and secondly uh what we are still not uh, like uh, again it comes from the manufacturing sector itself like we are we have still not like uh, we have not been able to find out uh, like uh, the uh what should i say like uh, we, we we have to tap in the econ- like lo- local economies or what should i say like uh, we still don't know what is the strength of each and every locality or every district in a particular state we still don't know it like what is the like every district has a usp you must be knowing that your district also having uh, must be having a particular product which has which has uh, the ability to go uh, uh, so that it can be scaled globally so if that is that is also one of the factor which is very important we need to discover that we need to find out like what are the products from each and every place which can be scaled which has a which can be a potential export and then secondly like we need to um, take the power from the hand of the bureaucrats one if we don't do that our, our manufacturing sector is not going to develop we are not going to when manufacture and if we don't manufacture we are not going to export and like panda has already covered the logistic parts where we are lacking we are we are still short on roads the turnaround time of our ships are still like they are not up to the global standards they are still very less so these are the two things we need need to improve on i think and we have worked upon it in past few years like these things have been improving with due course of time so i think but i think that if if we don't focus on the manufacturing part then I, um, uh, like our merchandise go, is going to suffer so Until right. unless like making India is implemented in true, true spirits, uh, we, we like you will have to be satisfied with this number of exports. It's not going to increase drastically. First, implement yeah. making India on ground level, uh, and then we can like talk about exports like rising exponentially. So that is my take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I mean uh, there are a couple of uh, things that I would like to uh, mention here. So first on the infrastructure or the lack of infrastructure part. so uh, just to give you a sense of the uh, you know the kind of infrastructure that we have in india if you if you take the sum of the total port capacity of india's all the ports you know combine them all mm-hmm. together it is one third of the port capacity of shanghai alone so uh, basically uh, you know mm-hmm. india has uh, a very poor port capacity mm-hmm. and you know there are certain size of ships that cannot come into india so for example I mean, uh, you know if you have to export something from uh, india to the western coast of us right Uh, and and you, it it can only be transferred in a big ship so those indian goods are first shipped in a small ship to singapore and then in singapore they are reassembled into uh, you know these big container ships and then they are shipped across uh, the pacific ocean so essentially uh, you know uh, there is uh, this huge uh, lack of infrastructure and uh, some of that also goes back to what dubey was mentioning that there was a lack of uh, you know uh, this growth mindset and we were also into this self sufficiency or this gandhian ideology of of you know uh, mm-hmm. village manufacturing and and we only uh, do do what we need and in sort of we we, we uh, hardly we avoided prosperity uh, and and also uh, our socialist instincts 
up until 1991 had had a lot to do with not to do with it as well so of course there are historical reasons for lack of research there but now the time has come that we need to switch that because uh, you know if if you look at uh, india's demographic situation india is going to have a lot of cheap labor and if we cannot find uh, you know uh, a place to employ that cheap labor it is going to turn into a demographic disaster and uh, for that uh, basically merchandise uh, manufacturing and merchandise export is 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 you know essentially the key sector you can only employ so many people in uh, service sector you have to have that manufacturing capacity based out of india you have to have low uh, turnaround times on your port you have to have big ports you have to have good roads uh, ease of doing business should be higher so all of these points uh, need a lot of concerted effort over the next 10 15 years if you are if you are going to employ uh, you know everyone uh, so there are a million people joining the indian workforce every day uh no, in no country in the world at any given point of time has so many people come into the workforce uh, at any given time so the need is to create labor intensive jobs and uh, there is nothing more labor intensive than manufacturing goods so uh, this is uh, going to be the pathway uh, for us to get to middle income for us to get to like uh, $10000 per capita and and we we have to we uh, focus on uh, exports uh, so this export preparedness index it's an excellent index uh, and and this panda was mentioning it, it it promotes competition between the states so uh, so, so we need uh, more such steps and and of course the lack of infrastructure is totally uh, visible uh, you know no, no matter where you look and and it affects us in manufacturing most of all so uh, yeah uh, one one more thing that i just wanted to mention on on, on bike closing was the uh, bike these flying model Uh, where uh, you know essentially uh, as as these countries uh, hit their demographic dividend that's when manufacturing capacity shifted in to those countries so 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 this happened in japan first china then then korea then uh, you know southeast asian countries like vietnam and so on uh, then uh, it's sort of happening now in uh, bangladesh and india so so uh, essentially now is the time when uh, the uh, the uh, you know tailwinds are there for us to uh, really establish our uh, you know ex- export capacity to to uh, enhance our manufacturing uh, capacity because uh, you know people want to diversify their supply chains china is sort of not a reliable partner india india sort of uh, you know sits uh, sits as a much better place diplomatically as a partner where people can diversify their supply chains so uh, if 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 we have uh, all the basics in place that's only when uh, we can attract uh, you know uh, all this international uh, supply chains into our country so uh like uh, those those were my points and and i think uh, we have had uh, quite a bit of discussion on this but if there are any closing points uh before we close yeah panda yeah just uh, for our us the thing that you are talking about is the flying geese model so mm-hmm. as uh, you know uh, presently india and bangladesh are in that state uh, or stage of their economy that the manufacturing products is uh, relatively the assemblage and manufacturing of products relatively is very cheaper when it when it is compared with countries like china and japan and this is something that india should take advantage of you know, aside from this make in india we also had this campaign of assemble in india uh, we have had apple stores opening up in uh, indian cities so i think Bangalore. this is Bangalore. that is definitely going to boost our export second thing and this this is a very uh, famous quote Uh, and this is regarding any index you know we have been we have our own set of apprehensions regarding the methodology but i think so what gets uh, measured gets done so uh, now this is a step in uh, a, a correct direction just to uh, regarding the measurement now the states know their individual weakness and now they can uh, get it done you know in enhancing these export Uh, areas the weak lacunae that they have and then we had this uh, beautiful point by dubey that you know every region has its own uh, usp and monopoly which needs to be exploited and i think so this ex, uh, this uh, index will rightly set up that environment uh, that such type of factors regarding region specific monopolies can be exploited yes. mm-hmm. uh, so i i would just like to add on two things when we say that uh, we need to like uh, he mentioned about competitive federalism as well like uh, panda also mentioned mentioned about it that indices create that competition among, among the states but uh, see why we have to understand that why certain states uh, like uh, uh, are way ahead of us first of all like some states were historically rich like gujarat and maharashtra they had more resources when you compare it to the hindi belt but what i also feel like like The, there are two things also which we need to very much focus upon if are, we want to boost our manufacturing the first thing is is uh, is labor okay so when labor when it, we need to directly link for when it comes to labor we link it directly to labor laws okay i still believe that labor laws in india are very archaic they are not up to the global standards we, we are still living in those uh, socialist eras where we are we are we have not uh, come into the capitalist capitalist mind, mindset of the labor laws 
So first of all, we need to improve our labor laws drastically. In 2019-20, I don't remember exactly remember the they came up with labor codes, but now they come here 20. They came up with labor codes, but I still believe that labor codes are not up to the uh, like up up to the mark. They are still not up to the like global standards where they they should be. And the second thing is land acquisition. The, our land acquisition policies are terribly poor. Terribly poor. I, I'm telling you. Like uh, we have not been able. Like whenever it comes to manufacturing or where whenever it comes to giving like that security to the investors, the once you come to our state, we will give you land at cheaper rates. We will give you electricity at cheaper rates. We will provide you labor at cheaper rates. Once once we give these three parameters to any particular manufacturer or investor, why uh, then he is surely going to come to your state. In India, we are not able to deliver these three basic parameters. That is land. The second thing is labor, and the third thing is water and electricity. And then, obviously, a, a, a proper political environment, a stable political environment. I think we are we are lacking on these three, four very basic points. If we are able to achieve these three, four basic points, then I am like I am very confident about the fact that we are will be able to reap this demographic dividend. But somewhere we are lacking on that. That political willingness is lacking. we just need to sort out our land and labor issue and if we are able to do that and then i think the like, sky is the limit for india because uh, the population is so huge and like if if there is a country like uh, which has 50 to 60% of their population between 80 to 30, 30 years of age then now is the time we utilize this population i don't know why we are not doing it <laughs> right exactly and and i think that is a great place to uh, you know uh, close this episode sky is the limit for uh, you know india's growing potential and uh, the labor laws mm-hmm. Uh, and and the land acquisition laws are what is holding us back so uh, let's mm-hmm. let's get those fixed as soon as we can and uh, uh, you know a uh, thank you so much to all the viewers who who sort of tuned in live and the ones who are going to uh, watch us later across uh, all the different platforms we're going to put this uh, podcast in audio form in uh, spotify apple podcast google podcast as well and it will eventually go up on youtube uh, when the editing is done also uh do, do remember to uh, subscribe and follow us and uh, like and comment on uh, on our content and uh, as always thank you so much to panda for uh, showing up and sharing his insights and uh, to dubey as well for uh, his, his brilliant uh, comments on all the topics that we had today uh, thank you so much thank you so much thank you thank you thank you guys thank you sarvan thank you shubham thank you shubham thank you panda all right bye episode 60 mm. in the books take care guys see you next week bye bye